Another episode of Pick and Pod NBA Finals Edition. Jackson Heil, Thomas Aiello here with you. Tom making his WFUV podcast debut, and it's a good time to be here for sure. NBA Finals just about set to get in full swing. Heat Lakers, a dream matchup for some. LeBron facing his former team in Miami where he won two titles, went to four NBA Finals as well. Um, plenty of other news around the NBA as well, including some stuff that literally came in minutes ago. Doc Rivers out in L.A. He's done after seven years with the Clippers, just three playoff series wins in his time with the Clips. So that's obviously big news. And we're going to get to all of it, including a recap of the conference finals, which I certainly have a lot to say about, particularly on the side of the Boston Celtics. But (laughs) before I get into it, Thomas, how are you? I'm doing good, Jackson. I'm uh, excited to make my debut on the uh, Pick and Pod and can't wait to discuss some hoops with you. And uh, well, I'm going to let you have the floor because I know you do want to take a stab at the Celtics. So have at it, kid. Yeah, I will. And we're going to start on the side of the Eastern Conference Finals. Heat taking out the Celtics in six games. And yeah, I I think I'm done with the Boston Celtics. Um, I've been out on them for longer than I would have liked to admit at first. And then they kind of brought me back in during the bubble. Me thinking that they might actually be for real. And then I saw the fourth quarter of game six, and it's a relapse all over again for the Boston Celtics. And for a variety of reasons. But let's start with the talent on this team. Because I personally look at this roster, and I see the most talented team in the Eastern Conference. I mean, you have a budding star in Jason Tatum, who's supposedly a budding star. But after the way he played in the fourth quarter of game six, I'm not so sure what to say about him. You have a guy in Jalen Brown who really, honestly, I thought was their best player in games five and six. He finally looked like an aggressive player on the offensive end, which we hadn't really seen since game seven against the Raptors. You have Kemba Walker, who's one of the best point guards in the entire league. You have Gordon Hayward coming off the bench, a former all-star in that coming off the bench. who was having a terrific season, obviously injuries slowed him down this year and forced him to sit out for a while, but he came back in game three. You have Daniel Tice, who I think is one of the most underrated centers in the league. I mean, it's still a roster that is loaded with talent all over the floor. And you have Marcus Smart, who's probably the best perimeter defender in the league. But what we've been saying about the Celtics for years and years and years is that next year's the year. Next year's the year this team evolves. And yeah, you could say all you want about how old these guys are. I know Tatum's 22, Brown is 23, Marcus Smart's only 26. We've been saying for three or four years now that next year is the Boston Celtics year. And every single year, we just keep pushing off this argument out when the Celtics window is open. The Boston Celtics window to win has been open since LeBron left. And this, we're talking two years now since LeBron has left the Eastern Conference. And last year, everyone made the excuse that it was Kyrie's problem, that this team couldn't get to the finals because he was a locker room cancer, yada, yada. Well, now we got this year where apparently you got Kemba Walker, who many said was an upgrade, especially in the Boston Celtics in terms of a fit. And not only do you catch a huge break by not having to see the Milwaukee Bucks in the conference finals, who I thought was a terrible matchup for Boston, but you get a Miami Heat team, which I actually thought was a great matchup for the Celtics. And that's not to take anything away from Miami Heat, but I just thought the Celtics with the way the Heat play defense, particularly going to that zone late in games, I thought this was a matchup that was lined up perfectly for the Celtics to go to the finals. And they come out and drop an absolute dud yet again. 
it, it keeps happening with these Boston Celtics, and I think Brad Stevens is a terrific coach, but I don't know how this keeps happening with the Celtics in the playoffs, and especially late in games. It's remarkable to me how this team just falls apart. I mean, look at game six alone. I mean, this is a team, they go up six points in what is an elimination game. You start to think they're going to figure it out. Grant Williams looks great off the bench playing defense with Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. They make play after play. And then the Heat go on a 26-6 run. But in the fourth quarter, I mean, I mean, this is a team that looked like a pack of frauds for a good portion of this fourth quarter. From eight minutes on, this Boston Celtics team, who was up six at the time, they give up a 26-6 run in the fourth quarter of an elimination game in which they neglect to play an ounce of defense in the first place. And also on top of this, their star players just continue to isolate against the zone and can't hit a shot to save their lives. And it's not like they were getting great looks. I mean, Tatum struggled mightily in the fourth quarter, and he struggled mightily in various parts of the series. And Kemba Walker can't make a shot down the stretch. The only person who looked like he could actually score was Jalen Brown. And the fact that this Celtics team, which we've made excuses upon excuses for year after year, first it was LeBron being there, then it was Kyrie being a cancer. What's the excuse now for this Boston Celtics team? Were they too young? Were they not ready for the moment? Because if that's the case, then what were you doing the last three or four years? I mean, I mean, this is a team that has guys who have playoff experience. I mean, we could say all, all we want about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum being young. They've been here before. They've been in the big moments. And yet again, they don't get it done. And we could say all we want about championship windows and how they can still be open. I'm going to be frank with you. Championship windows close a lot quicker than people think. And you're going to get a Brooklyn Nets team next year who's going to be a lot more talented. You're going to get a Miami Heat team who's going to bring everyone back and still get better considering how good their young nucleus is. you got to think Giannis is going to be in the equation with Milwaukee, even if it's just for one more year. He might get an extension. This is a window that's closing for the Boston Celtics. This was their best chance to get to the finals, and they blew it yet again. And I think it's time we point the figure at Brad, whether Brad Stevens, whether, whether it's the personnel in the Celtics, the Celtics need to be blamed for what they're doing. And, and, and I'm done making excuses for them because this is a team that should have gone to the finals this year. And they yet again found a way not to do so. Well, I think it's, um, there's a combination of things when you talk about Boston's failures. I think it could be between not preparing for the Miami Heat zone defense, which they, like you said, they just, they just mentally broke down and they were just terrified every time that it was thrown at them and they had no idea what to do. And they were doing some strange things, too. I mean, they were throwing Marcus Smart in the high post. Um, they were trying to do isolation ball, which I think was really the killer here, just uh, relegating themselves to that isolation style of play where it's, okay, it's Tatum's turn. Okay, now it's Kemba's turn. Now it's JB's turn. And I think what they sorely missed the most, and you can blame it on Brad Stevens' strategy, I think missing Al Horford really kills these guys, especially in the series against a team like the Heat, where they're going up against a much younger Al Horford, who's just a lot more athletic and damn out of bio. But missing Horford, I think, was a big piece for them because he was a two-way player. He could shoot the three ball. He was a good defender, and he was a, a voice of reason and leadership in that locker room. I think the other thing that they didn't do was throw in Ennis Cantor enough, and they got, they got killed on the boards for the most part. I mean, out of bio was kind of cleaning that glass. You had Olenek in there. He was giving them some decent minutes. Iguodala was crashing the boards. Jimmy's always crashing the boards. But I think not having Ennis Cantor in there, I wouldn't say was the X factor for why they lost, but it definitely would have helped helping them uh, maintain their fight on the glass and maybe keeping the rebounding numbers even. Because I don't care how horrible he is on defense. Besides maybe Brown and Smart on this Boston team, I don't really know of any 
natural defenders. I mean, Kemba's not an all-world defender. Uh, and, I mean, Canner's atrocious on defense, but I think maybe having him in there for 10 or so minutes, you know, tell him, okay, go in there, get six points, grab eight rebounds, uh, just box out out of bio, kind of give them a push, and you kind of do short stints like that. Maybe that could have helped. Could it also have been Danny Ainge not making a move at the trade deadline for an actual big? Uh, some of the names available that I'm thinking of right now off the top of my head would have been Andre Drummond. And we saw the trade package that Detroit took to give him away. They basically gave up Drummond for nothing. Like they just got a second round pick in John Henson. And maybe another player that they could have traded for potentially would have been Montrez Harrell. I mean, again, he's another offensive force. Uh, he's a great rebounder. He's not the greatest of defenders, but if you wanted to maybe give yourself a fighting chance, and obviously the object of basketball is to score more points through their team, and Boston could do that, but they just lacked a paint presence. I think not having the Hor- Horford there was bad, and not playing Ennis Cantor maybe could have been a little helpful and not making a move at the trade deadline. There's a lot of things you could point to here. I agree with you, but I'm at the point where this was a Celtics team that I think, I don't know if you agree with me, but this Celtics team was good enough to get to the finals. They were good enough with the roster they had to get there. We, we, I mean, we, yeah, we could point to all we want about Al Horford not being there, and that's fine because maybe he would have made a difference. But also, if you think about it, if you have Al Horford there, you probably don't have Kemba in the equation probably, because yeah, where true. is that money coming from? So, and also, we saw how poorly Al Horford played for the Sixers this year. So I'm not too sold on the Al Horford equation, although I get what you're saying in terms of needing that leader and needing that veteran presence. But isn't that why he brought Kemba Walker in? Isn't that why he brought Gordon Hayward in? Isn't that why you've been grooming guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown over these last two or three years to be those guys? If you want to call Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown stars in this league and you really want those guys to be playing at that level, and also mentally being at that level. Kemble seemed like the guy and seemed like the perfect fit for what Boston was trying to do. But I, I'm honestly, I, I don't want to make excuses for the Celtics anymore about not having Al Horford. They let him go. That's their own problem. And honestly, this team was talented enough to get to the NBA Finals. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but you look at this roster, and honestly, the way it was constructed, this roster should be more than good enough to get to the NBA Finals. Oh, and I God. don't want to take – anything away from what the Miami Heat did this series and what they've done this entire postseason because they deserve all the credit in the world for what they've been able to do. Because Jimmy Butler's been terrific, and he's been a real, real impact on what the culture has changed to in Miami. Bam Adebayo has probably been the most improved player in the league this year and is a matchup nightmare for everyone. And you have a bunch of budding young stars and Tyler Hero – Duncan Robinson, who is not a star, but a star at what he does and what he brings to the table. And also probably the most underrated point guard in the league, in my opinion, in Goran Dragic. This team is more than worthy of being in the NBA Finals. My point is more on this Celtics team. This is another failure for the Celtics. And we're talking four years running. We could say all we want about this window being open and what Danny Ainge did. At some point, you got to win. At some point, you got to shut up and stop talking and show us the results on the basketball court. And the Boston Celtics have yet to do that for me. And listen, they've been to two conference finals. They lost a game seven in the conference finals to LeBron James, and they fell short yet again. And listen, if, if you want to consider that good enough as a Boston Celtics fan, then good for you. But this is the best franchise arguably in the history of the NBA. And 
coming up short for the fourth year in a row should not be good enough. And I don't know what the next step is for the Boston Celtics because they seem to have all the pieces, but I don't know what they're missing at this point because I don't even know what I'd add to this team right now. I mean, obviously maybe some bench depth, like you mentioned, but this team is good enough to make the NBA finals. And if they can't do it now without Kevin Durant in the fold in Brooklyn and with Giannis getting bounced in the second round, I don't know how they're going to do it. I really don't. Well, I'm going to say this about uh, the Nets. As much as I would like to see this happen, I, I don't think Kevin Durant's going to come back averaging 26 a game off of the Achilles injury. I, I, I have my doubts, but that's a subject for a different day. So maybe you could count out the Nets if that happens, but we don't know. Honestly, yeah. I mean, Boston's just kind of, they kind of just hit the wall in the maze. You think you got out, but you really didn't. And the, the exit to the maze is on the other side of the wall and you got to go all the way around and retrace your steps. And I think that's what Boston has to do. I think Danny Ainge has to take a real hard look at uh, this roster that he's assembled. Granted, it is talented, but there's just too many unfortunate breaks they get. I mean, I'm going to try and be a little nice here. Granted, when they did go to the conference finals and lose to LeBron James, no one really expected them to do that, given that Kyrie was out, Hayward was out, Marcus Morris was the small forward, and like the team was struggling. It was a rookie Tatum, a second-year Jalen Brown. They had a backup point guard starting. I guess we can give them a pass for that. But, I mean, last year, there's no excuse, and this year, there should be no excuse for the ineptitude to win. But we do have to give Miami a lot of credit. Eric Spolstra has been one of the most underrated NBA coaches of the big names. He's probably the least talked about of the big names, but I I don't think that's the case anymore because now he looks like a genius. We also have to acknowledge that Miami, uh, have you, okay, Jackson, have you ever had Asian fusion? Like I have not. You have not. Okay. I heard of it, but I haven't had it. If you ever, if you ever do go to an area with it, definitely recommend it. But Miami is kind of like Asian fusion tacos. Okay. They're, an, they're a fusion of today's game, 90s and 80s, and then they just kind of put it into one. And it's this beautiful, harmonious team. And, you know, they don't, they don't shoot the most threes. They don't exactly try to outrun you. They do it with their hard work on the boards. They beat you with their defense and strategy. And I think that's what Boston, you know, bottom line, Boston just got outsmarted by Eric Spolstra. And everyone praises Brad Stevens for being like, Dr. Strange or some kind of magic wizard. The guy got absolutely destroyed in terms of strategy by Eric Spolstra. I mean, everything that Brad Stevens had Spo was just like, yeah, I can counter that. No problem. Now, granted, they were able to get away with it for two games, but Miami just, I mean, the Tyler Hero 37 piece, that was just, that just signaled to me, yeah, this series is completely washed. Boston's not coming back to win at all. But I mean, when, when that happened, you just knew. Yeah, this, this, this season's going down the drain. And I personally, if I were to add anything, I mean, I would add a big maybe. But I, I don't really see what else you can do. I mean, they signed Marcus Smart to some money. They have to pay Brown. That's coming up. They still have to pay Kemba. You know, they're Tatum's got to pay to Tatum's got to get paid too. And I'm sure that Ennis Cantor's going to want to probably get a sizable contract from another team because he can start on some teams maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to pay him? Do you keep Taco Fall around? I mean, I know that he's just kind of like a, a, a meme at this point, but maybe do you keep him around for the fans? Like, what, what do you do here? There's just, I don't know where they go. 
this was their best chance. I, I really believe that. I, I think this is their best chance because you had your stars on their rookie contracts. You had the pieces around them who can play. And listen, I know Jalen Brown just got paid, which is fine, but you still haven't yet to pay Tatum, which is a good thing. And you've kind of used all your assets in terms of draft picks and stuff where the Celtics are at the point where I, I don't – I think they missed their best shot to get to the finals. And, listen, that could change, but the East is going to be loaded again next year without a doubt. And it's only going to get harder from here. And they could still do it for sure. It definitely could happen. But um, this feels like a missed opportunity for the Boston Celtics. And I, I do want to acknowledge the Miami Heat too quickly before we move on to the West because – they deserve so much credit for what they've done. And I mentioned it before, but Eric Spolster, like you said, I completely agree. Probably the most underrated coach in the NBA. And people early in his career didn't give him the credit he deserved because he won with LeBron and he won with D-Wade and he won with Chris Bosh. But this dude knows what he's doing. And there's a reason Pat Riley put him in this position. And he's done a terrific job. And he outsmarted who everyone thought was probably the best coach in the NBA and Brad Stevens in this series. And that's a tough task to do, especially when I think the Celtics had a better roster than the Miami Heat. And that's nothing against Miami's talent, but um, I, I think from roster construction standpoint, I, I prefer Boston over Miami right now. And he continued to prove everyone wrong. Yeah, you could say he's a matchup problem for the Bucks because of the way – that the Heat play and having Bam, but you don't get to that point without great coaching. And you don't. Eric Spolstra deserves a lot of credit for what he's able to do, get everyone to buy in. And Jimmy Butler deserves a lot of credit for that. Bam Adebayo deserves a lot of credit for that. This whole roster, including Andre Iguodala, who had a terrific game seven. He did. And put up, put up 15-something points off the bench. I mean, it was a different guy every night. It was a different guy every single night. It'd be tragic one night. Hero the next, like you said, Hero going for 37 in game four. Then one night, it's Bam Adebayo, who was terrific in game six, by the way, as well. So that's why the Heat are so difficult to beat. And I think they're going to be a real matchup problem for the Lakers, which will transition us into the Western Conference. Lakers take down the Nuggets in five. To me, this was a Nuggets team that just ran out of steam. Um, I really thought they would make this a series. And listen, they were really one shot away from making it a series. And 80 in game two really put the Lakers over the top, put them up 2-0. And that was just a deficit that the Nuggets were unable to overcome. And listen, we could say what we want about the officials and Mason LeBron playing. getting every call he wants. And the fact of the matter is the Lakers are better than I thought, personally. Yes, I should never underestimate LeBron James, and I should never underestimate Anthony Davis, but I look at this Lakers roster, and I see a team that isn't very deep whatsoever, and a team that I don't think should have went to the, to the finals if you're just going by roster construction. I mean, I, I think the Clippers were better. Obviously, we know what happened to them, and they never we never got the L.A. matchup that we wanted, but I look at this Lakers team, and I see better rosters in the Western Conference, and the fact that they really steamrolled through the entire West, was really freaking impressive. And LeBron deserves a lot of credit for that. AD deserves a ton of credit for that. But Frank Vogel also deserves a lot of credit for this. Because, honestly, I, I think Frank Vogel is the first good coach LeBron's had since Eric Spolstra. And that's nothing against David Blatt, and that's nothing against Ty Lue. But personally, I, I don't think LeBron was working under the best circumstances in Cleveland. And now 
you got a guy in Frank Vogel who had a ton of success in Indiana, was kind of scapegoated there for how things ended, which I thought was very unfair considering the culture and the roster that he put together with Roy Hibbert, Paul George, David West, George Hill, Lance Stevenson could go on and on. But we forget this dude was a pretty damn good coach in Indiana that kind of went a few years without a job. Now he takes the reins in LA with LeBron and AD in a situation that's, you've got a lot of pressure on you being the head coach of the Lakers, not only the head coach of the Lakers, but the head coach of the best player in the world. And I think he's done a terrific job this year and deserves a ton of credit, as does LeBron. I mean, LeBron's performance in the end of game five was remarkable. And that stuff of legends, that stuff you only see of a few guys out there, LeBron being one of them, MJ and Kobe probably being the other two right now. But this Lakers team, from a roster construction standpoint, I don't think is very good. And they're, they've steamrolled their way to the NBA Finals off the back of two guys, essentially, and I think great head coaching. And those three specifically, LeBron and AD, obviously are going to get all the credit, and deservingly so, because they're the guys, they're the anchors behind this team. They're the motor that keeps this thing moving. But Frank Vogel, I just wanted to point him out because he deserves a lot more credit than he's gotten for this Lakers team. And he's a big reason why the Lakers are four wins away from their first title in over 10 years. Well, I'm going to take a couple shots at this Lakers team because I am one of the biggest Jordan fans ever. And the LeBron fans have made me grow a vendetta against the Lakers. Okay. It's, it's bad. It's, it's really bad, Jackson. First thing I want to point out is that people like Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso, Rondo, Dwight, they're telling me that they're good. Like, how was Dwight good this year, first of all? Like just, he averaged seven points and seven rebounds off of the bench. Like, how does that make him amazing? And Alex Caruso is just a meme. I, I don't want to hear, hear it again from him. He's literally going to be in the league for 20 years, but playing like two minutes and just being the internet meme that he is. And Rondo, forget about it. I can talk all day about why he's awful right now. But regardless, they made start the NBA Finals with the easiest, one of the easiest paths ever, man. Let, let's run through it. Let, let's run through it, Jackson, shall we? First round, they play the Brotherhood, Damian Lillard, and the Portland Trailblazers, who had absolutely no chance. Um, yeah, they gave him the one game, but they just curb-stomped the no-defense Portland Trailblazers. And then they play the Houston Rockets, who don't have a big. And now here they are playing the Nuggets, who have Jokic, and Murray, and they're good. Don't get me wrong; these guys can play. Hey, don't be disrespecting the Nuggets. Don't. Be I'm disrespecting not disrespecting them. The they can play. Like they can play. Like they have some players, but I was watching the game with my friend, and he's one of the biggest LeBron fans like ever. And he, when Jamal Murray got hurt in Game Five, he was just like, "Yes, LeBron's path to the finals got so much easier." I'm like, "Really? Like you're proud that his path got easy?" M- Murray was playing hurt for most of the series. And you're also right, too, about the Davis shot. That just, that just absolutely shot their confidence. That was the absolute killer. I mean, it's a backbreaker. It is it's a backbreaker. Yeah. If Plumlee had fought over that screen, you know, maybe it would not have gone in. But we can't really assume that Mason Plumlee is this all-worldly defender either. But it would have been nice to have two people contesting him instead of one. But LeBron James just kind of cakewalked to the finals. He just curb-stomped everyone that he that he played. And shout out to Anthony Davis going to his first NBA finals and conference finals all in the same season. I think this is the AD effect. Honestly, this might be the AD effect. I mean, just having him there, he's just an intimidating person. 
but I think it's just the AD effect. And granted, they play horrible teams. Some teams got he got they got lucky breaks with a couple of injuries. You know, some teams just not playing any defense at all and kind of throwing in the towel. But I think this was one of the easiest walks to the finals ever for LeBron James and the Lakers. And that's why LeBron went to the West too. Yeah. Um, uh, well, not really, not necessarily. I mean, he, he also expected to be going up against a Warriors team that was healthy, which they weren't this year, which happens. But yeah, I, I do want to say that I, I don't think it was necessarily easy per se, but I think we also got to give a lot of credit to LeBron James for making it look easy because that's what LeBron James does. Yeah, that's and what so does, does Anthony Davis true. because this was a Portland team that was the hottest team in the NBA going into the postseason. So even though, yeah, they struggled for a large portion of the year, I mean, they had the hottest player on the planet in Damian Lillard, and they still went down 1-0 in that series against a really hot team that's tough to overcome, and they won four straight. They lose game one to the Rockets, who are probably the most unique team in the NBA in terms of <laughs> the way they play basketball and the amount of threes they take, and they come back, win four straight. And then you got a Denver Nuggets team who I'm going to talk about momentarily that showed more heart and more resolve than any team I've ever watched in the postseason coming back from two, three, one deficits, doing it all without Will Barton, who's probably their third best player right now. And, and being a pretty tired team and having two of the hottest players in the NBA Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic, two superstars, no less. And the Lakers bounced them in five, which two other teams proved they couldn't do. And, and closing the door against this Nuggets team is probably the most difficult task in the postseason. I think that was proven, and the Lakers just accomplished that. So, yes, it was easier than LeBron's used to, I think, but I don't want to take away anything from LeBron's path to the finals. With that said, with everything we're talking about the Lakers and deserving praise they do, I do want to talk about the Nuggets for a second because I, I think – this Nuggets team is probably the most fun I've had watching NBA basketball in a while. I mean, I mentioned it before. I mean, coming back from two, three, one deficits, the manner in which they were winning games was probably the most impressive part to me because it was really a two-headed monster in Murray and Jokic. And it's similar to what the Lakers were doing just on a light scale, almost having two superstars and really not much else to go. Yes, MPJ was terrific in the beginning portion of the bubble and is a good piece to have. Jeremy Grant stepped up big time, especially against the Lakers and making some big time shots. But this was a Nuggets team that was, like I mentioned, missing Will Barton, missing probably their third best player in this whole thing. And they found a way to beat a much more talented Clippers team, without a doubt. Beat a team in the Utah Jazz that was red hot at the time and somehow slowed down Donovan Mitchell in what was a terrific series. This was the Nuggets made me really enjoy the NBA this postseason. And that's what I have to say about them because I think this is a team that's going to be back at some point. If they can add one more piece, I think this is a team that could be finals down soon. I, I really believe that. Um, and which direction they go in or how they get another star is that's not my decision. That's up for debate. But they are a terrifically coached team. I think Mike Malone is a top three coach in the NBA. They have two young and rising superstars in Jokic and Murray, and they have a cast of characters in terms of their depth when it comes to the bench. So I just want to say about this Nuggets team that they are not done. They will be back at some point, and 
they deserve a lot of credit for what they went through and what they overcame during this postseason. Even though it didn't end up with an NBA Finals appearance, they brought some magic to the bubble, and it was really fun to watch the entire process. I, I, lo- I could not agree with you more. Um, this was probably one of the most entertaining teams we've seen in a long time that was assembled. I mean, you look at it from just roster construction, which is a term we've been using a lot today. It's just a loaded offensive team. I mean, you have Murray and Jokic, who are your two big-time players. Then you have Barton Porter. You have uh, Monte Morris, who's a nice little player. He can put up 10 a game. Jeremy Grant, who uh, was a steal, actually. That was a really good trade they made with Oklahoma City to get him. Paul Millsap, who's a great interior defender. I think where Denver goes, their GM, whose name escapes me at this moment, there was rumors about Bradley Beal potentially making his way to the Mile High City. Um, that would be interesting. That That'd would be a great be, fit, I think. That too. would be very good, I think. Uh, in terms of money, I don't know how it would work. I mean, it would probably be Porter Jr., Harris, uh, maybe Barton if they picked up his team option, and maybe some picks or two for Beal because Beal's he got extended and he's making over $30 million. But I think if they went for that at the trade deadline, maybe this year before uh, the hiatus, I don't know. Could that, have, could that have affected them in any way? Maybe would that have given them a third player that they could throw at the Lakers? I mean, because the Lakers' perimeter defense is, is pretty bad. I mean, Caldwell, Pope, and Rondo, they're solid, but they're no, they're no Marcus Smart or Tony Allen running around out there. But, I mean, well, maybe would Beal have been the X factor? Could this have potentially gone to seven games if he was on that Nuggets roster? I have no idea, but it could definitely make things a lot more interesting. Certainly could. And I think Tim Connolly will find a way. Um, Tim he's Connolly, done a terrific job in charge of the Nuggets, and he will continue to as well. Um, and he's done a great job. He's been on WFUV before too. So big shout-out to a WFUV fan for um, putting together a terrific Nuggets roster and adding some fun to the NBA bubble. So it, it's going to be Heat Lakers in the final. We're going to save the preview for our next episode. But before we wrap up, Big news, as we mentioned at the beginning portion of the show, Doc Rivers out in L.A. Um, Obviously, big news for Clippers fans and big news for NBA fans. We're not sure what his next step will be. But honestly, Tom, I think this is a great decision for the Clippers going forward. Um, I'm not sure how mutual this was. They're still waiting for the reports to come out about whether it was triggered by him or whether he was fired, yada, yada. But I think the Clippers were better off moving on from Doc Rivers. And I think a lot of what Doc has done in his career has been predicated off the talent he's had. And I think he's really fortunate to have had Kevin Garnett as a centerpiece that won him a title. And I'm not discounting Doc Rivers as a coach. I think he is a terrific coach, but he certainly has his flaws. And we can – I don't think you could say anything else about his tenure with the Clippers other than being a failure. I mean, this is probably the most talented Clippers team we've ever seen. And they lost to a shorthanded Nuggets roster that I just praised and deserve a ton of praise. But again, this is probably the most talented team in the NBA right now in the Los Angeles Clippers with reigning champion Kawhi, a now fraud, in my opinion, in Paul George, Lou Williams. You have a great bench as well to go along with it. The Clippers talked so much and didn't accomplish anything together yet. And I think they need some sort of culture change in L.A., at least right now, to get this team where it needs to be. 
because in my opinion, this is a team that talks way too much and hasn't backed up any of it yet. And if it takes getting Doc Rivers out and getting someone new in, who they bring in, I'm not sure. I personally would not go the Ty Lue route. I would not go the Mark Jackson route. Um, and that's just a matter of preference for myself. But there were changes that were coming in L.A. regardless of um, of whether it was the coaching situation or personnel. It was probably always going to be coaching, and I think that was the right decision. But I'm not sure what direction I would go if I'm the Clippers, but I know for damn sure it ain't going to be Mark Jackson and it ain't going to be Ty Lue in my opinion. And that's at least the direction I would go in. Tom, your thoughts on Doc Rivers being done in LA? Uh, I have no problem with it. Um, Jerry West, I call him God for a reason. (laughs) This guy, he does everything for a reason. So Jerry West has something on his mind that just probably he saw and he's like, oh damn, maybe I should have done this. Jerry, he's, he's like that. Okay. Jerry West, he thinks like that. That's how he is. That's how he operates. In terms of who his replacement's going to be, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I probably would not go the Mark Jackson route. Maybe you can go the Ty Lue route just because of what he did with LeBron, but Kawhi Leonard's not LeBron James, and you have to hope that uh, Paul George doesn't turn into George Paul. That's your other fear factor. And Montrez Harrell is probably going to leave too. It's a reported that he's going to probably look for a big payday. Where that might be, I don't know. I've seen some flashes of the Knicks, the Raptors, as two potential suitors for him. But for the head coaching position, I literally have I have no idea. Could it be some random assistant we have no clue about? Yeah, probably. I mean, that's if I had to guess, knowing Jerry West, yeah, maybe that might be the route he goes because he brought Pat Riley in literally from the commentator's booth. And then they won, what, five or six titles with the Showtime Lakers? So... Jerry West is probably going to do that, knowing him and his track record. And I'm sure that they'll be a fine candidate. And if it's approved by Jerry, they're legit. Uh, but there's not much that this team can do in terms of leverage. I mean, again, maybe losing Harrell in a, for a sign-and-trade. Could you trade away Harrell for one more year of Marcus Gasol, maybe, just to have another big with Zubats? Or uh, could you steal Mitchell Robinson from the Knicks, which I really hope doesn't happen? I mean, we'll, we'll see what direction yeah. they choose to go in. There's a lot honestly. of things they could do. There is. And here's what I'll say before we wrap this up. This – Jerry West has to get it right. He does. Because this all could end in Clipperland after one more year. I mean, Kawhi and Paul George both have opt-outs in their contracts. If they don't get it right this year, Kawhi could easily just pack up and go. So could Paul George. And after you gave up all those assets and first-round picks and Shy Gilders-Alexander and Danilo Gallinari and all these guys, after all of this, you could end up with nothing and then a horrendous spot for the future if the Clippers don't get it right this year. This trade for Paul George could end up being worse than the KG, Paul Pierce, Jason Terry trade to Brooklyn oh, God. If, if this thing doesn't get figured out next year and and that that i mean that in all seriousness because we yeah we thought that trade was bad how about about four or five first round picks a young star in shy gildas alexander eight picks i think it was eight it, it, it's it's an enormous a amount. it's an enormous <laughs> amount i mean five picks like three pick swaps something crazy like that if it, the clippers bad, don't yeah. figure this out by next year this trade is going to go down as the worst trade in the history of the nba and honestly i don't think there's really any way 
you could see it otherwise. I mean, the fact you brought up the Brooklyn trade, that's alarming. (laughs) That's where we're at right now with the Los Angeles Clippers. And Jerry's got to figure it out. Like you said, he's got the the track record to do so, and we'll see if things hold. But a lot of things have changed for the Clippers in one year. I mean, this was a team we looked at as probably the brightest young, not young team necessarily, but maybe the team with the biggest championship aspirations a year ago. And now their window might be closing after just two years if the Clippers don't get this next hire right. But again, only time will tell with that. And only time will tell for when we have an NBA champion. And it's going to be between the Heat and the Lakers. We'll have our preview episode coming up. You can find it on WFUVsports.org. But until now, from Thomas Aiello, I'm Jackson Heil. This has been another episode of